Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, February the 5th, 2024. It is currently 4.44 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And I would like to say welcome, everyone, to day one. Day one of our 21 days where we're listening to sermons and studying and thinking and meditating on the minor prophets. And hopefully you are participating. This is 21 days in the minor prophets utilizing our Sermons 2.0 app challenge. Probably we'll also uh, use this for the Bible pop quiz. We may also use this for some other things. Maybe we'll do some other things with it. But 21 days, you're supposed to be focusing on the minor prophets. Now for the Sermons 2.0 app challenge, it's very simple. You grab the Sermons 2.0 app on whatever device you're utilizing, Android, Apple, and you open it up and you can just do a search. You can do a search for one of the minor prophet books specifically, like Hosea, whatever the case may be, or you can just type in minor prophets. Now, if you do a search for minor prophets, you're going to find all countless sermons, sermon after sermon after sermon on minor prophets, which may be evidence once again that a way, uh, the way a lot of people sell their sermons and a lot of discussion about the minor prophets is more marketing than it is reality, because there is no shortage of sermons and literature on the Minor Prophets, even though every series always begins, well, no one really hears anything about the Minor Prophets. No one ever really studies the Minor Prophets. And remember, I challenged that assumption when I introduced this entire, you know, 21 days in the Minor Prophets. And remember, I said, I don't believe it's the church's fault. If someone is ignorant of the Minor Prophets, it's their own fault because they own a Bible, right? I used to put the blame more at the foot of the church, but when you start looking around, most churches do something with the minor prophets at some point. Now, how in depth they go, we could discuss that, but I mean, it's there. So there are plenty of sermons on the Sermons 2.0 app on the minor prophets. So what you need to do for the next 21 days is each day you're listening to a sermon, the minor prophets. Now, what I suggested is 12 days in a row, you just go through each One sermon for each book of the Minor Prophets after 12 days, you can start back over or you can pick sermons for a specific book, however you want, but just random sermons on the Minor Prophets from the Sermons 2.0 app. All right. Now, with all of that said, the first thing I want to do, the first thing we need to accomplish, the first piece of business, I'm going to open up my Sermons 2.0 app and... I'm going to just play just a little bit of this, but I challenge everyone to go listen to this because this is kind of the most, I've never heard a sermon like this. It's, I, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to give too much away. I'm going to play a little bit of this for you, but I challenge everyone while you have the Sermons 2.0 app open, do a search for a sermon entitled, My Name is Hosea. My Name is Hosea. All right. And uh, it is Irvin Kinsley. E.K. Bailey is how it's all written out. Irvin uh, K- uh, Kinsley, then in parentheses, E.K. and then Bailey. Irvin Kinsley, E.K. Ba- uh, Bailey. All right. And uh, this is the name of the sermon is My Name is Hosea. And I want you to find this. It's only 32 minutes long. Um, so it won't take a lot of your time, but this is, I don't even know how to describe this. So I'm going to play just a little bit for you. I'm not going to do a review of this because I don't know if it's kind of reviewable in the way it's done. It's done in such a unique way. Now, it would be interesting to get everyone's feedback because I think this is what's going to happen. Some of you are probably going to be, I absolutely love it. Obviously, a lot of people love it. It has over 11,000 downloads. So a lot of people love it. And I think it was a staff pick that the staff for Sermon Audio even picked it as one of like their favorites and, and a recommendation for people to um, to listen to. So it is very popular. Some of you are going to love it. Some of you are going to be like, I don't know. 
I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I don't like it. I, 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 I'm not going to offer any specific point of view at this point, but I, I do want people to hear it. So we'll listen to a little bit of that, and then we'll continue on doing some work in the Minor Prophets here in just a minute. But are you, you want to hear a little bit of this? Again, Irvin Kinsley, then a parenthesis, E.K. Bailey, my name is Hosea on the Sermons 2.0 app. I don't even know how to describe this. The only way I can describe it is the preacher is doing a sermon where he basically is telling the story of Hosea as if he is Hosea. Like he's doing it almost like, like a play, right? Like a dramatic presentation. And he's kind of speaking like he's Hosea, but maybe in a more modern way. So I don't know if, you, if you're going to like this or if you're going to feel like, is it adding to God's word? I, I don't, everyone's going to have lots of strong opinions, but let me play a little bit of this. This is my name is Hosea. Here we go. My name is Hosea. My profession is prophet of the Lord Jehovah. My prophetic ministry took place in the northern kingdom of Israel between 750 and 725 B.C. I have been summoned here by some of your contemporaries who are part of the apostolic tradition to share with you brief excerpts from my biography. I was making my way back home from one of my many crusades when as I descended the heights of Mount Tabor, suddenly I was apprehended by a strange and invisible presence. This invisible presence was so mysterious that I was at once both terrified and fascinated. Although rare, this experience was not new to me. Having been there before, I knew that I was in the presence of the one who is eternal. His voice came to me riding the bosom of the wind. It enveloped me like a whirlwind. And I heard him say to me, Hosea, I must speak to you concerning the infidelity of my people. You remember our contractual agreement that Israel would be my people and that I would be her God. But now, Hosea, because of her apostasy, idolatry, and immorality. Her goodness is as the morning dew. It had faded away. She has fractured our friendship. She has ruptured our relationship. She has allowed strange gods to encroach upon my domain. As I stood there that day at the foot of Tabor, I didn't say much. What does one say when God is speaking? He allowed me to slip into a kind of altered state of consciousness. I was there and yet I was not there. Whether in the body or out of the body, God knows. But he carried me on a historical voyage. And now that in the body, out of the body, I don't know. That's borrowing from Corinthians. So see, some of this I don't know because he's speaking as if he's Hosea. So if he's speaking that way, 
well, Hosea didn't say some of the, didn't, well, I mean, he's, he's adding words. So then it's kind of like some of my main issues I have with the chosen and a lot of other dramatizations. They add to it. They add to it. So then you're creating a, a feeling, a vibe, a, a way of understanding it that's not based on the literal words of God. So I, I have, I, I do have some issues with that, but I want you to go listen to it. Make it a priority to go listen to all of it. I, I don't, I, I wanna, I wanna play a little bit more, but really uh, the goal here is not to, to start reviewing it because if I'll, I'll start reviewing it is exactly what I'll start doing. What I want you to do is go listen to it. It's one of those that I think, I think it demands just you listen to it and not really try to make any judgment at first. And then when you're done, then you can kind of start, you know, thinking about, or maybe then you kind of go back through it and then you write out maybe your concerns or your issues. But it's interesting. It's on the book of Hosea. So I, I, I challenge you to go listen to that again. My name is Hosea by Irvin Kinsley, Irvin Kinsley Bailey, um, and go listen to it and well, just I would love to get your thoughts and your feedback on it. Newsif at yahoo.com. If there's something specific in there that you're like, oh, what about this? Give me the timestamp. And then I can come back, go to that, and then we can discuss it. All right. But for my, our first day, all right, and our 21 days in the Minor Prophets. Now, the, the, the introduction I did yesterday, we're not counting that as part of the 21 days. That was just kind of the introduction. The first day is today. We're going to go back to the podcast I told you to look up, Discover the Word Podcast. And remember, they're utilizing three of their podcast episodes. They're dedicating them all to the Minor Prophets. Now, those three weeks of, broad, of podcast episodes really represents 15 episodes because each one episode of their podcast contains five all put together. So it uh, used to be uh, released daily, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and about 15 minutes a piece. And then they just started combining an entire week's worth in one episode. So their three, three episodes will really technically be 15 episodes that are combined, all dedicated to the Minor Prophets. And that's what sparked our, our 21 days. So we're going to go back to that. Now, when I start this, it's not going to be in the right place. So it's going to start playing their theme music and then I'm going to immediately hit pause and then I'm going to try to fast forward quickly to the right place, to the starting place. And I apologize for that, but the studio does not let me, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to play the other audio, well, then that one just, it starts that one right back over to the starting point. It doesn't hold it in its paused position. So it'll take me just a second to find this. So um, please be patient. Here we I think in a Jewish scholarship and wisdom of the first nations, but you don't really see them writing, but you see. Okay, this is the conclusion of the last one, and then it's going to go directly into the in, into uh, the new one that we're going to review today. We reviewed the first one yesterday in our kind of introduction and all of this, where they kind of introduced it. We we had some questions, and I thought we had some good back and forth with it. Now let's see. This one is supposed to be dedicated to the book of Hosea. Let's see how they're going to handle it. They're only going to spend like about 10 minutes in it, so it's going to be really quick, but we'll just see what we can gain from it. So here we go people writing about them yeah mm. and that mm. is a really interesting distinction because somebody else wrote down their messages to people from god the writing prophets themselves wrote down their own messages we believe and captured them for posterity and for further learning and benefit which is why we have them and they've been carried on through the many generations since then. So over the next 15 conversations, you're gonna have to buckle in and hang with us on this because this is gonna be a longer than usual series, at least for me to lead, but uh, but I think it'll, it'll be a worthwhile adventure diving into the 12 minor prophets and learning what they might have to say to our generation today. Because during their day and age, the words of the minor prophets weren't really minor at all. In fact, they left a big enough impression to be included in the collection of the Twelve. And uh, we're pretty excited to have you along with us as we explore the context and the message of each of the minor prophets 
over the course of the next three podcasts. Because the writings of these 12 men often do get overlooked in our Bible reading and Bible study. But I think we'll discover that the minor prophets, even though they are fairly short, play a major role in God's story and definitely have something to say to us even today. So let's start going through them now. Let's listen as the Discover the Word team sets out to understand the life and wisdom of the first of the 12 minor prophets. And you know what? This leadoff prophet's home life would rival any soap opera storyline. And yet even amid Hosea's personal life heartache, he was pointing to an even bigger heartache. And that is the message in the soap opera-like story of the first member of the 12, Hosea. All right, so here they go. They, they've done their intro. Now they're going into Hosea. Again, these, the way these are designed to be like for a small group, there's, there's things I'll, I love about it. There's things that can irritate me about it. And we talked about that in our first discussion. I'm interested to see what they do. Now, this works perfectly. This coincides perfectly with what I'm challenging you to do, all right? This is day one. You're going to go through the Minor Prophets for the uh, using the Sermons 2.0 app. So you need to be choosing if you want to. You can, you can just choose one today on the Minor Prophets just in general. There's plenty of sermons on Sermon Audio where they do an overview of all the Minor Prophets. If you would like to do that for day one, you can. Or you can pick a random one from the book of Hosea. Just type in Hosea. You could put chapter one. You could just... just Pick a random one from Hosea if you would like to to kind of follow along with this. All right, we I, I'm I'm probably going to do at least one sermon review on like some random sermon on Sermons 2.0 that does an overview of all the minor prophets. We'll definitely throw that into this mix. Uh, this is this should just be a fun 21 days where we're learning as much as we can about the uh, the minor prophets in a very condensed period of time. But it should be fun and helpful. So let's see what they have to say about the book of Hosea. Here we go. Okay, this is maybe an unfair question to ask you to answer to a public audience, but I'm going to ask it anyway because that's kind of what we do here. Uh, have you ever spent much time watching soap operas? I remember going to the doctor's office as a kid with my mom, and there would be some on or visiting my wife's grandma and being in the back room and the only channel that came through most of what was on it was soap operas. So yeah. like, I'm familiar with the concept, but much time feels like a stretch. I would, I would not say that. I remember all through high school and then in college, I worked in the file room of the state attorney general's office filing opinions. And all of us would break at noon exactly and get our little sack lunches and turn on this little black and white TV and huddle up and watch what was happening on As the World Turns. <laughs> okay, now again, this, <laughs> this is the part, like, I don't know. I, I mean, this is one of the things that drives me crazy about small groups. I mean, I know this is the way you're supposed to do it. This is the template. And what I... I, I say this all the time about the church life, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's preaching, whether it's small groups, for some weird reason, someone decides this is the way you do things and everyone follows it. And if anyone says, no, we're not going to do it that way, everybody's like, what are you doing? Oh, you can't, you can't do, you've got to follow the way it's been laid out. And I hate it. So in small groups, you always have to do this, go around the circle and ask, you know, you, or you throw out a break the ice kind of, of question, right? You're breaking the ice and you're trying to get people talking. And so you just throw out some random question. Now you'll, it, it'll be loosely related to the subject. But so many times I've seen people use the same technique in Sunday school. You'll, and then it's just so many times it's like this person's talking about this and they're talking about this. And then you got to try to rein it back in. But so much of that in, in initial conversation of breaking the ice, maybe it helps people remember the subject. But to me, it seems sometimes so disjointed because you, you can see what they're going to do here, right? Hey, do you know about soap operas? Oh, you like? Okay, so, well, guess what? Hosea is the soap opera of soap operas. Now, maybe that will make it more relatable. And may, maybe that will make people go, ooh. But sometimes the breaking the ice questions, it just seems like, I don't know. I don't know. It just, and again, maybe I'm just being, I, I'm just, well, I'm just voicing my own 
frustrations with it because it, sometimes it bothered me. Maybe because I just saw so many times it just seemed to spiral out of control and it would end up taking up so much time. I said of being dedicated to actual study or wasting time because ever, because once you everyone get, once everyone gets comfortable, then everybody wants to share their story about whatever. And, and, and maybe you can try to rein it in, but then you spend more of your time trying to rein it in and control it. And then trying to make sure that that somehow pivots into your transition to your lesson. And I don't know if it really, I don't know if there's any actual study to show how valuable it is, but there you go. So that's what they're doing here with the soap opera question. All right. So we got one, he only saw it like in doctor's offices and waiting areas. He never really saw it. And then the other one, the, the woman, she, every day at noon as the world turns. Okay. All right. So I don't know how this is going to help us, but clearly they're going to use this to say Jose is a soap opera, but all right, let's, but wow. Okay. Well, I, I could ask a question about that, but we'll see how they handle it. Here we go. <laughs> I remember my mom and grandma, my aunts, like, like them talking on the phone about the mm -hmm. latest thing that happened on General <laughs> Hospital. Luke or, and Laura getting married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or any of those things. And uh, occasionally if I had like a sick day or something like that, needing to sit and watch myself. But that wasn't really my jam. But uh, <laughs> but I am familiar with them. The definition, I looked this up online, the definition of a soap opera. This is a little lengthy, but hopefully it'll contribute to this somewhat wayward conversation. Romance, secret relationships, extramarital affairs, and genuine hate have been the basis for many soap opera storylines. In U.S. daytime serials, soap opera storylines weave intricate, convoluted, and sometimes confusing tales of characters who have affairs, meet mysterious strangers and fall in love, and who commit adultery, all of which keeps audiences hooked on the unfolding story. Hmm. That sound pretty close? Well, the first of the minor prophets actually could almost fit into the category of a soap opera. No kidding. Because it's yeah. the story of Hosea. Yeah. Okay, so they're going to... I, I, that's the direction I figured they were going to go. All right. Now you can ask if that helped. Did that help? Did that contribute? Like, which works best? Having everyone go around in a circle and answer the question. Does that make them feel more a part of it? Or just saying, hey... A soap opera, most of you are probably familiar with them. They dominated daytime television for many years in this country. Uh, a, a soap opera is defined as this. And ladies and gentlemen, we're about to study the first minor prophet, and it could be considered the soap opera of soap operas. Could you have accomplished the same thing? Or now, we, we, there are studies that people, you know, after. I, was it 15, 20 minutes? They stop paying attention unless you take corrective measures, right? Yeah, and, and corrective measures, you've got to get them engaged. So by asking the question, is that great? But the only problem is for a small group, at least for this one, you don't need the corrective measures because the entire session's only about tw 10 minutes long. So you don't really need the corrective measures. But I digress. There you go. You may th you may love that. Some of you love it. I'm, I just like I, you're. Th those are valuable minutes. I need to know more about the book of Hosea, not so much about the people in that room and whether they like soap operas. Now, at the same time, though, I'm guilty of doing the same thing on my podcast because a lot of times I will share a story that I think is going to make the point more clear or more impactful. So it's always that editorial decision and you can tell me what you think but if you've been a part of small groups you know that that's a common thing you may love it you may not let's see but let's get to hosea the soap opera of soap operas and let's see how well what we learn about the soap opera and to just kind of kick us off in hosea who'd like to read hosea chapter one verses one through three i got it the word of the lord which came to hosea the son of biri during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry. 
for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. You know, I don't, I don't remember seeing this verse in my Awana memorization <laughs> list, <laughs> mentioning harlotry three times. Nor should you have. There are a whole lot of Bible stories that should never be taught in a children's Sunday school class, and this very well should be one of them, I think. There are a couple of things about this. First of all, when we see the name Hosea, the first thing maybe we ought to realize is it comes from the same Hebrew word as the name Joshua or Yeshua, which is the Hebrew for Jesus. They all come from the word hmm. Hosea, which means salvation. And that's really what the story of Hosea is about. It's about picturing God's salvation of an unfaithful Israel. But what's really interesting is that some scholars think that when the 12 were placed onto a single scroll, some scholars believe that perhaps the reason Hosea was put first is because the significance of his message is that it focuses on God's said love, mm -hmm. his faithful love, his covenant love. And so it launches the 12, which contains some pretty dark and dismal stuff, if we're yeah. honest, mm -hmm. it launches it with a larger hope of mercy and grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what really jumps out to me in this one and throughout that kind of is thematic of all the minor prophets is there's so much evidence for Israel and God are in this relationship called a covenant. They've made promises to each other. They're supposed to keep these promises. God has kept his promises. Israel hasn't kept theirs. And so God has a choice. He could walk away or he could continue to pursue them. Because okay, whoa, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. So much to unpack here, okay? Now we could get into a long discussion. So... The Bible is not suitable for children, so should the Bible be removed then from libraries? I mean, at that whole argument, we can't have these books in libraries because what about the children? Well, he just acknowledged that there's content in the Bible that shouldn't be taught to children. Well, then Bibles should not be in libraries, right? Or, or not in, a, in any section of a library where children could access one. Right? I mean, okay, okay, that's a whole discussion. All right. Second, this is very important. So God is in a covenant relationship with Israel. Israel has not kept their part of the covenant. Now God has a choice to make. He could walk away. God can't walk away from a covenant that he made where he made a promise and it, he made the promise with himself. Isn't that the whole point of the Abrahamic covenant? He made it with himself. He put Abraham, Abraham went night, night. God certified and basically made the covenant with himself. So could God just walk away from all the covenants he made? God could just decide, well, Israel, you didn't do your part. I'm done. Or did God make covenant promises with Israel that had nothing to do with what, what, what Israel would do or not do? I mean, did God have a, an ob? Now you could say God had an option whether to make a covenant with Israel, but once God made the covenant, does he not have to be faithful and keep his promise? Or are you saying that all of the, the uh, covenants made with Israel were conditional and God could opt out at any time because the people he made the covenants with were never going to fulfill their obligations? That, that really goes into the nature of the covenant that he made. Did he make a covenant that is binding and everlasting, or did he make a covenant that he had an opt an opt out, uh, you know, clause? I I I that I am not a fan of the way that was just stated. I'm I'm not a fan of that. But all right. Oh, there's so much we could talk about there. But let's continue because of how much he loves them. And I think if there's no other theme throughout all these, it's the fact that God decides instead of walking away from his people, he's going to continue to pursue them. I, I, I don't get that. He decided. So God just decided, hey, guys, I could be done with you, but I'm going to continue to pursue you. Or does he continue to pursue them because he made a covenant that he was going to keep because he made the covenant with himself? They seem to be describing the covenants God made with Israel that he made them in such a way that he had an opt-out clause, that he could walk away at any time, that he wasn't bound to anything. 
So that, that, that's a good question for you to work on. God's covenants that he made to Israel. Now, there are multiple. Now, again, if you go covenant theology, then he basically just made one covenant with them, which is the covenant of grace. And it really wasn't with the nation. It was with more the the spiritual body. Uh, and okay, but I will argue there are multiple covenants, multiple covenants. And I think at least the Abrahamic covenant, and we, 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 we went through when we worked through dispensational theology, we also looked at the covenants. Many of those covenants God made with himself, they are bounding, they're everlasting. God can't just walk away from them. And he keeps making it sound like God just decided, God just decided. No, he made the decision when he made the covenant. This, this really raises questions about the nature of the covenant. I don't know why it's being presented as if God had an opt-out clause. Hey, Hey, all, if you don't keep your part, I can walk away. Well, then God could walk away with any covenant he ever made because no one ever keeps their side of it if we have a responsibility of something we are supposed to do. Even when they walk away from him. And in that way, Hosea really does seem to set up the story really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the, the other thing, Daniel, when you talk about the covenant, sometimes I would just say I have understood that agreement in almost to legal and dry terms, yeah. but to think about it here, for God to say that the impact of your infidelity is the mm-hmm. same emotional impact as a spouse who's had a, a betrayal, like in the mm-hmm. soap operas yeah. that Bill mentioned, that brings the emotion and the reality of that covenant, of that marriage between God and his people to a, a much deeper degree of connection. It brings uh, it home. Yeah. And I think in your last conversation, Bill, you now you got to be you got to be careful there. I got to warn here. You can so humanize God. Now, the Bible contains language about God from and using very human terms so that we have some understanding of him, but you cannot you cannot be guilty of so humanizing God that you destroy his deity. Remember, when God entered into a relationship with Israel, he knew before he entered into the relationship, he knew before he entered into a covenant that they would betray him and they would commit spiritual adultery. He knew it from the moment he created, before the creation of the world, he knew it. It did not catch him by surprise. It did not shock him. He knew it was coming. Just like he knew Adam and Eve was going to betray him. He knew it. So you got to be very careful to so turn this into like God was the, you know, the, the husband and all of a sudden it's like, what are you doing? I'm so hurt. Okay. It, he may describe it in human terms, but he knew what was going to happen way before it ever occurred. We cannot forget that part. They, they seem to make the covenant as if it was optional, and then they almost now want to describe it as the emotions of it. Well, let's not forget that we're talking about the eternal God who's omniscient. mentioned that it's hard for us to sometimes understand the purpose of the minor prophets, but really the way you've just described it in Daniel Rasul too, is that it expresses the entire story of scripture, yeah. you know, that, that God loved his people and made a promise to them. And we have turned our back and become idolatrous and adulterous and God woos us back. That really helps me understand why they're there. Well, what we know about Hosea, we sometimes and I don't like the wooing us back. He saved us. He redeemed us. He bought us back in a sense. He purchased us. He, he saved us. He, so, all right. Okay. They, they're really making it so, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the word, but they're, they're, I'm not quite liking the way they're describing this. Now, I don't think they're going to mention this, but let me throw out some, some things here from Hosea. All right. So the uh, so the word of the Lord ca- that came unto Hosea, uh, the son of Beri, and the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, and the uh, uh, the son of Joash, king of Israel, uh, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms. 
and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Now, I want you to consider two things from verse two. I want you to consider, they, I don't know which direction they're going to go. We'll listen to it in just a minute. They only have a few minutes left. So we'll, we'll see what they're going to do. I want to give you two concrete things from Hosea. And as you, if you choose a sermon today on Hosea from the Sermons 2.0 app, you can seek to find the answer, right? So you could do a look for sermons on Hosea chapter one, verses one through uh, three, if you want. Okay. Or one, or just chapter one. Here's the key. When God tells Hosea to go take a um, a wife of whoredoms. Does is God telling him go choose a woman who's involved, basically uh, using the King James language, uh, a, a, a a whore? I will use it. I mean, I'm very graphic language. A whore. Um, if we if we look at other translations, I think uh, let's see how they describe her. Whoredoms is the is the King James word. Others describe her as. A woman of promiscuity, a woman of promiscuity. Does he go, does God tell him to go take a woman who's involved at that moment in whoredoms, a woman at that very moment who's promiscuous, a, a woman that, that very much involved in, in sexual promiscuity? Is he telling you, go find a woman right now who's doing those things? Or is he telling him, go find a woman, but that woman is going to do these things? Now, this has been somewhat debated. I remember, I don't remember which, uh, I don't remember which class I was in and which seminary, which Bible college, but this was an, an issue that was debated back and forth. And I don't remember how part of the class was one way, part of the class, the other, the uh, part of the class is like, well, God wouldn't go tell him to marry a woman who's involved in this kind of thing. God would not do that. That would be being unequally yoked. God would never do such a thing. And then others were saying, no, uh, others were saying, uh, or they were saying God would never do such a thing. The other ones were like, no, that's exactly what God did. And others were like, no, he told him to go marry a woman who would do these things. So you can try to figure out which, which side you're on. Did God tell him to go marry a woman who is actively involved in promiscuity, whoredoms, you know, being sexually promiscuous, whatever words you want to use to describe it, whatever makes you feel better? Or is he saying, go marry a woman, but she's going to do these things? Right, so I want you to consider that question. And then number two, I want you to answer this question. Why do you think in the minds of probably most of the people you go to church with, maybe even in your own mind, sexual promiscuity, sexual immorality is always met with scandal and gossip and, and shock and dismay and, and shame and humiliation and maybe excommunication and something must be done because some kind of sexual immorality has happened and it's scandalous and everyone's talking about it and oh my goodness, can you believe that this happened? This is the worst thing ever and everyone wants to talk about it and everybody wants the dirt. Why is it that that's treated in such a severe way? When was the last time anybody in your church was even confronted for spiritual adultery? When was the last time anyone in your church was excommunicated for spiritual adultery? When was the last time you even confessed that you are in a spiritual adulteress and an adulterer? When was the last time you even felt even slightly guilty for your spiritual promiscuity? When was the last time you were even a, limit, a little bit convicted by it? Pornography, lust, homosexuality, fornication, adultery, any kind of sexual sin, it's, it's the end of the world. But sex, but a spiritual adultery, spiritual promiscuity, no big deal. Now, what we have a tendency to do, well, I didn't go build an idol and bow down. You got a million idols in your life. You know it and I know it. 
And look, the, the sexual immorality here is only being utilized. The focus in this text is not so much on her sexual immorality or her sexual promiscuity or her whoredoms. It's simply being utilized to point to the more serious issue, which is the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. The issue is the spiritual adultery. Why is it that the one creates the scandal and the other, we were like, oh, yeah, okay, spiritual adultery. I'm really worried about it. Okay, is, is, is the sermon over? Okay, I'm gotta, I, gotta get to, I gotta get to the buffet. I gotta, I, gotta get to the, I gotta get to lunch. Oh, I got football to watch. And oh, wait, and we're not coming back to ter- church tonight because we got things to do and I'm just tired and I don't wanna come back to church tonight. And I may not come back to church Wednesday because, well, I got things to do. Well, but none of that would even raise the question of being maybe, I don't know, a spiritual idolatry because you're putting everything else before the worship of God. God? So does Hosea take a woman who's already promiscuous and marry her? Or does he marry a woman who's not promiscuous, but becomes promiscuous? And what's the deal with spiritual adultery, not even really registering on our top five of sins to be concerned about? It doesn't even appear in the top 10 People run around, the LGBTQ community is going to destroy the world. And nobody cares about the spiritual adultery happening inside the church. In the Minor Prophets, we can't always tell when they might have been written, but he gives us some time markers in the names of these kings. And what's interesting is, though, Mm. even though Hosea's message is primarily to the northern kingdom of Israel, He mentions four kings from the southern kingdom and only one from the northern kingdom. And some speculate that that may be because even though there were six other kings in the northern kingdom after Jeroboam, it shows that the kingdom was already in a state of tremendous deterioration. So the the focus is on the southern kings and particularly Uzziah and Hezekiah, who were good kings who led spiritual reforms among the people and things of that nature. So as we look at this, one of the things that makes Hosea distinctive, I mean, in our last conversation, we talked about some of the kind of oddball things that prophets had to do, like Isaiah, I think it was, had to walk around naked for like three years or something like that, you know. But none of them lived such a personal, intimate display of their story and their message as Hosea did, because it's a very, very personal story of betrayal and unfaithfulness Mm -hmm. and adultery that his wife Gomer commits. And so as we look at this, her actions are characteristic of the actions of Israel. And one of the things that we need to keep in mind with all of this, and I think this speaks directly to our Christian culture here in the West, is the fact that these were times of tremendous outward prosperity, mm, yeah. but they were also times of great spiritual unfaithfulness and departure. And I think in spite of the great wealth and the amount of, we could say, blessing that God has poured out upon our society, we've walked away from him as a culture, largely. And I think mm-hmm. that what was true of Israel in Hosea's time could be very well descriptive of our culture and our time as well. Yeah. I mean, one of the ideas that shows up throughout this little tiny book is that the people have no intimate knowledge of the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea of they're not intimate with him in the way that a, a spouse would be intimate with their spouse. And instead they're intimate with all of the other things in their culture, specifically idols, but wealth, prosperity, taking advantage of the poor for their own benefit, all of those things, those are the things that they live with and know better than they even know God. And I think in that way, it's super. And just look at every church. How many people are intimate 
with God. And they know God more than they know anything else. And they desire God above all else. And they have a passion for God and a zeal for God and a hunger for God. And they love God and they put God first. Over and over and over, you see it in the life of believers everywhere where we put ourselves first and we love self and we love this and we desire this and we want this and we do this and we do this and we want this and we do this and we all the time. But that doesn't really bother anybody. Why not? Challenging for us because we can then immediately ask ourselves the question, well, what are the things that I know so intimately that aren't good? Uh, what are the things that I know so intimately that aren't the Lord versus knowing him intimately? And in those ways, it's like, okay, that's where the betrayal is in my own heart and my own life. Yeah, I um, also think it's relevant to think about the fact that just because you have prosperity financially does not mean you have prosperity spiritually. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we often see an inverse relationship of those things in right. the minor prophets in particular. And we see that with Jesus, right? I think about in Revelation in one of the letters to the churches, you think you are wealthy and you have this reputation for your great wealth, but I say you are poor. That caused a sense of introspection. Where are the ways in which I might be in poverty spiritually with God, even though I might have outward prosperity? And in this metaphorical kind of story in Hosea, which is so interesting. Gomer and Hosea have children that are also given names of just being away from God. And you see this issue that we were talking about a few seconds ago of the deterioration of the relationship, generation to generation to generation, you know, a legacy. And, you know, that if if you study our culture and the the post-Christian world and different parts of the world, and then you see a resurgence in other parts of the globe, there is this legacy of pulling away from God. Yeah, I think all of the... Don't look to the culture, look to the church. Hey, hey, the culture, we're in this post-Christian culture and it pulls away from God. Look inside the church. Why is it that it's impossible for us to ever look to the church. We always want to look to the mean, bad culture. The culture is the boogeyman. And we're like, it's bad. It's so, but in here, we're all the good people. Give me a break, okay? It's God's people, Israel, God's covenant people who are committing spiritual adultery. It's not the culture. It's the church that's committing spiritual adultery, not the culture, because the culture has no relationship with God. So they could not be committing spiritual adultery because they have no relationship with God. These things combine to paint for us a picture of what Hosea's life example, which was kind of like a living parable. Jesus told parables. Hosea lived one. And as he lived this parable, the part that we haven't really spoken about yet is the most important part. Not only did he marry a wife out of harlotry and have children with her, when she went back into prostitution, she ended up on the slave market, and he goes back and buys her off the slave market and takes her home and restores her to himself. And God says, that's what I want to do with you, Israel. I want to bring you home. I want to restore you to myself because even though you've been... God wants to... Or God ultimately will. Unfaithful to me, I still love you. Yeah, and the impact that that has on generations. Mm -hmm. I love in Hosea chapter 2 when he says, and I will have mercy on no mercy. The child that was, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of given that name. And I will say to not my people, you Mm -hmm. are my people. And he Mm -hmm. shall say, you are my God. And I love how Paul picks that same passage up in Romans and talking about the the spiritual transformation that has occurred when we become adopted in Christ. So good. So the Minor Prophets begins with this living parable lived out by the prophet Hosea, which extends to wayward, unfaithful, sinful Israel, a picture of God's rescuing, restoring, and redeeming love and grace and mercy. And there you have it. That's their look at the book of Hosea. Again, they're they're going through these things and like, you know, 
10 minutes. So you, this is just, again, this just lays the foundation for what I want you to do. Now, I want you to be on the Sermons 2.0 app looking for sermons randomly, choosing, don't look for church, don't look for, just grab from the book of Hosea. I would say start in Hosea chapter one and see if anyone addresses, does he marry a woman already involved in whoredom or does he marry a woman who turns to whoredom, All right? That's that's an important thing. And then why, why is it that sexual sin gets all the attention in our culture and not, not spiritual adultery? Sexual sin, the end of the world. You're done. You're finished. It's the end. You, scarlet letter, crucify. But spiritual adultery? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, what's the big deal? I, I don't know. Hosea seems to act like it's a big deal. In fact, Spiritual adultery is mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament, over and over and over and over. It seems to be a big deal to God. He seems to greatly bothered by the spiritual adultery of his people, but for some reason it loses its focus for us, probably because it's a sin everyone's guilty of. So it's better to go point out and get upset and furious and mad at the sin that maybe you can avoid because and versus looking at the one that you're probably guilty of. But there is the book of Hosea. There's a lot more I'd like to say, but that just, that's, again, the goal here, we got 21 days. It's just to, my job is just to kind of facilitate and, and, and help you and move you in the right direction. So the Sermons 2.0 app, look up a sermon today on Hosea, make it random, and well, let me know what you find. Let me know what you find. But I do think that this is important. And I'll end with this. Whether it's spiritual adultery, whether it's physical adultery, whether it's lust, whether it's pornography, whether it's fornication, whatever the sexual sin is, whatever it is, our hope should always be not scandal, gossip, and destruction, but it should be restoration to restore back to a position of usefulness, forgiveness, because as God restored Israel, and they're going to be restored back to a, you know a great position of honor if we understand if we believe God is not done with the nation of Israel. They're, they're, all those promises are going to be fulfilled. Then we, all for any sin, what we should want is not scandal and shame and destruction. What we should always want is hope and restoration and forgiveness. That should always be our desire. All right, the book of Hosea. There we have it. Hope you enjoy the. I hope uh, you are enjoying the Sermons 2.0 app challenge so far, and I hope the next 21 days, or you know, tw- next 20 days. Today is you know day one, so you got 20 more days after today. I hope that you will spend some time on the Sermons 2.0 app and get everything you can get from it, from the book of you know uh, from the Minor Prophets. Use it to get into the uh, the Minor Prophets, and don't forget to dis- to uh, subscribe to the Discover the Word podcast. And uh, you can listen to everything they have to say about the Minor Prophets. We won't be reviewing probably all of this, but we'll be reviewing different sections of it at different times. And uh, we'll just, we're just going to use a bunch of different things to try to uh, well, benefit us greatly um, over the next 21 days. All right, thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful, great day. God bless.